0: Thank you, Elisa, for leading us into God's presence. Deep satisfaction and restoration come into our hearts as we enter into the presence of the Lord. As we pause a moment here to listen to the Holy Spirit, let me suggest extra time pressing into God's presence in prayer this week and encourage you, pray in the Holy Spirit and then listen for God's voice. My sense this week is that sometimes we're surprised at our vulnerability to temptation, but my question for you is, have you waited in his presence? Often when we take that time with him, his power enters us, and things that would throw us otherwise will not. So let the Lord shock you with the power that comes from lingering in his presence. Wait on him this week. So as we segue to our focus in the word this week, I wonder if you've ever faced persistent sin. Anybody? Yeah, right. I hear of the less embarrassing issues like food or laziness, but I also hear darker issues of pornography and other kinds of sexual sin or outbursts of anger in the privacy of the home. These are tough issues and we know they're made tougher with COVID. There is certainly people at greater risk for making bad mistakes, sins in this situation. Key question we're going to explore this week and really next week is how does God respond to sin in his people? And Jeremiah faced this issue. Small group leaders, you are crucial in these days as always. I'm going to encourage you, lead your group in reflecting over these issues. So God responds to sin, but how does God respond to sin? The first way that God responds to sin is patience. Thank God for that. We're going to look today at Jeremiah 25 and 24. We'll actually start in chapter 25. It's the one that occurs first. They're not in the order of historical order. And we're going to read verses 2 through 7 to give you a feel for the situation. <clears throat> so, Jeremiah the prophet said to the people of Judah and all those living in Jerusalem, For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah's son, Ammon of king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, Turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve them and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made, and that I will not harm you. But listen to verse 7. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you provoked me with the work of your hands, and you brought harm to yourselves, let's pray for a moment. Lord, open our hearts as we search your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Twenty-three years with no repentance. So the first thing we see here is good news. That is patience. We're going to look at how God deals with sin, and you'll see that sometimes God does bring judgment, uh, but here. Jeremiah 25 is, is relatively early in Jehoiakim's reign. He's a very evil king. Um, what happens is his, uh, he, he, uh, his reign is evil. Babylon surrounds him, and probably he's killed in that time or perhaps commits suicide. His son, uh, Jehoiachin, excuse me, is put in charge and then uh, quickly surrenders, and then Zedekiah is put in charge, and that's the person who's addressed in chapter 24. But here, what we want to go say here is, back with Jehoiakim, the call of repentance is for 23 years. So let me just say this: If you're nervous, you're wrestling. God is amazingly patient. In your own process, know that God knows your frame. He's being patient with you. Take the steps you need to every day. Trust Him in the steps. Fear God, but don't be afraid of God. Have reverence, but don't have anxiety or paralysis. And so, just to lay this out a little bit, I want to take a couple minutes and just lay out true repentance. And we'll be talking about this for a couple of weeks. What is true repentance? First of all, confess and agree with God daily. Even when you're stumbling, you're trying to get over something, each day confess. And and know in your heart, 1 John 1, 9, we confess our faults. uh, He forgives us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. Get your conscience at rest. Because when you're in the middle of the battle, one of the tricks of the enemy is you fall and you think, oh, I'm just going to fall tomorrow anyway. You know, I'll I'll lose my temper again or whatever the thing would be. And no, don't do it. Confess and agree with God. Then secondly, begin to plant seeds for new things desire, holy desire. This is where scripture memory, start to to plant those seeds for what you want to see grow. And then along with that, maybe a third step or related to the second step, get a vision, get a picture in your mind for what does God want to do in your life? Where is he going to take you a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? So maybe the wrestling is uh, pornographic temptation. So you say, okay, Lord, I believe that that maybe if I'm obedient and I'm following your ways, maybe a year from now, when I have that temptation, it won't even throw me, right? I'm gonna start sowing seed now. I'm gonna start thinking differently now about what I really want. And maybe I'll be ready for the single person. Maybe I'll be ready for a a godly courtship or uh, for the married person. I'll finally, you know, (laughs) be a blessing to my spouse, whatever it might be. But you begin to get a vision for where does God wanna take me, right? And then, fourthly, sincere repentance to the degree that you are able after each struggle or failure it's gonna be very humbling you confess you get a vision for where you want to go but you're like lord i know i'd be tempted to get wishy-washy here but i as best i can i turn completely from this sin i'm telling you it's like doing push-ups At first, it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere, but every time you do that push-up, you are strengthening that muscle to begin to create a new path, a new instinct. And then finally, I suggest some real people that you talk to every week or maybe more frequently about where you really are at, and God will bring freedom. Small groups and small group leaders, I encourage you, are we helping people through the real issues? Are we really grasping this? Um turning away from sin to God, I thought of Romans 6, 11, uh, where he talks about how we're dead in, to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 11 of chapter 6 of Romans, in the same way, just like Christ has died to sin, now, you know, alive to God, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but not just dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's really saying, us a very similar thing. He's saying, okay, you're having this battle Consider yourself to be dead to sin, but also, you're not just dead to sin. Why do we want to be dead to sin? So we can be alive to God. So we can be aware of and in and enjoying that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So that's a part of the whole process, right? And so... The first way that God responds to sin is with patience. God is patient with you, right? He's working with us. So we do this with confidence because God responds to sin with patience. But there's a second way that God responds to sin. That second way that God responds to sin is judgment. We do need to see this. So look at chapter 25 again, verse 7. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you provoked me with what your hands have made. And you brought harm to yourselves. Verses 8, 9, and 10. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you've not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, okay, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I'll banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the of the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. Wow. Well, you like to say, well, that's Old Covenant. Whew. (laughs) But what I want to help you see here, he's dealing with the whole people of God. And this is not just about the Old Covenant. Why did it happen? Because for 23 years, The majority of God's people did not repent daily in the way that we just described previously. When that happens, God judges the community with destruction, whether old or new covenant. You can look at church history and see it. Vital movements that become dead. Churches that refuse to be churches, that refuse to repent, lose their lamp is how Revelation 2 and 3 put it. If you look carefully at Revelation 2 and 3, there are seven letters to seven churches, they're all in Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today, real churches. Five of the seven are in danger of losing their lamp. In other words, they're, they're in danger of ceasing to really be churches. Ephesus lost their first love, Pergamum and Thyatira, sexual immorality and idolatry. Sardis, he just says, you're dead. And Laodicea, of course, the lukewarm, self satisfied church. When destruction comes, it's not just, oh, you know, somebody wandered off. That's the church's job, right? That's the healthy church. Somebody, as sheep wanders, you chase them. He's talking about when the people of God as a whole grow cold, destruction comes and joy is lost. Notice the joy in verse 10. Uh, The joy are the normal cycles of life. The joy is lost. Some of us are a little... uh, hyper-spiritual. But look at this. What are covenant people? We're supposed to be able to enjoy marriage, right? Bride and bridegroom. And the millstone speaks of the joys of meaningful labor. I wouldn't want to work with a millstone, but if I'm a farmer in an agricultural economy, that's uh, part of my life and my joy. And the, the light of the lamp, the joy of beauty and knowledge and goodness in life. These are joys because we're human and we're in God's image and it's part of the joys of life. Judgment removes the joys. The issue here is not fear of losing salvation. The concern here is fear that the people of God as a whole lose our purpose through ignoring God. We cannot be the light of the world if we don't shine the way, leading the way in repentance. Now, it'd be very easy for a church like Sojourn to say, oh yeah, well that's, that's, that's those guys that are, you know, they're messing around with sexual mor- uh, morality, they're changing things and you know, and that's true and they are in danger of losing their lamp when you start messing with the fundamental doctrines. But you can also just cease to be light and the danger in our day is that we could just cocoon and hide in COVID and you know, you can't maybe Uh, give your neighbor a cookie, but you can still connect. There's still love we can show and keep that lamp burning. So I'd encourage small groups as well to talk about this because the second way God responds to sin is judgment. Third way God responds to sin, the third way he responds to sin is by restoring a remnant. Now, we're going to fill out the theology of the previous point. If God has to judge his people, who's going to bring the light? Well, there's nobody to do it because we're God's means. And so God has determined to call out and restore a remnant in every generation by grace. So look at chapter 24 now, and uh, we'll read the whole chapter. It'll be real quick. (laughs) It's a a parable. After Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials, craftsmen, and artisans of Judah were carried into exile, from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed in the front of the temple of the Lord. So some of them were uh, exiled in the very first uh, exile. There was in three waves, the first wave. But most of the people actually stayed behind, including Jeremiah. And so it says here, he, he gives a vision of two figs. One basket had very good figs like those that ripen early. The other basket had very poor figs, so bad they could not be eaten. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Uh, Figs, I answered. The good ones are very good, but the poor ones are so bad they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I'll bring them back to this land. I'll build them up and not tear them down. I'll plant them and not uproot them. And then here's our verse. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They'll be my people and I'll be their God for they will return to me with all their heart. Well, that sounds great. Then verse eight, but like the poor figs, which are so bad they cannot be eaten, says the Lord. So I will deal with Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials and the survivors from Jerusalem. Whether they remain in this land or live in Egypt, I'll make them abhorrent and an offense to all the kingdoms of the earth. A reproach and a byword, an object of ridicule and cursing wherever I banish them. I'll send the sword, famine, and plague against them until they're destroyed from the land I gave to them and their fathers. Whoa. (laughs) Uh, Well, if you're following that argument, if you hear what he's saying, what do you want to respond That's not fair, right? What's going on here, right? It's one of these sheer, God says, I will call out a remnant by grace. It seems arbitrary. First thing we want to say is, it is. Because no one deserves grace. The people that went into exile didn't deserve grace either. And so God is always previous He is always gracious, and we never deserve it. But we can say that verses 8 to 10 are not as arbitrary as they may seem. Jeremiah and God know that Zedekiah and his court are deluded about being God's remnant. They think they're right with God when their behavior shows they are not. They are nationalist, conservative, and temple goers. Maybe they were Republican. I'm joking. Okay but they're not obedient from the heart. They're nationalist, conservative, and temple goers, but they are not obedient from the heart. So by grace, 70 years later, a remnant will return. And again, verse 20, uh, chapter 24, verse 7, I will give them a heart to know me. Now, this is a beautiful verse. If you know what a chiasm is, it's, it's like when uh, a verse... Or a passage starts with an idea and you get another idea in the middle and then it returns the idea at the end. Watch this in verse seven. Watch the structure and what we learn from this. The first phrase is pure grace. I will give them a heart to know me that I'm the Lord. Just gonna give them a heart to know him. That's grace. You know what? That's what every single human being on earth needs. Left to myself, I don't care. My own selfish life. The Bible says you're the same. Sorry. And he says, uh, they'll be my people and I'll be their God. There's the middle. And then here's the other half of the chiasm. Because they will return to me with all their heart. Now, you hear that? I I love this. Isaiah does this too, but Jeremiah does this. The whole mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility in one verse. I will give them a heart to know me undeserved, that I'm the Lord. For they will return to me with all their heart human responsibility. And we know actually that not all the remnant did return with all their heart, but some did. And God built a remnant out of that. Here is the fundamental need of every human heart is the gift from God, the grace, the touch, the kindness to make us want to cure. You know, you can pray for people that change their mind and do that when you're praying for their repentance. That's fine. But, but the biggest issue is pray that God will change their heart. The fundamental need is for a heart that cares to know God, wants to know God. Lord, give us the grace to care. God's initiative is what softens us. And this is why no one will stand in heaven and say, uh, God, you were just so lucky that I chose to follow you. (laughs) When you understand that every forward movement spiritually in your life is a result of the kindness of God. And he, he just, I hope you've seen this over and over in your life. If you're just getting started, you'll see it in your spiritual life. He gives us a heart to know him. I encourage you, cry out for that grace. When you sense you're getting dull, ask for that grace. The sober reality is that even among the exiles in the eventual restoration seven years later, only a remnant responded within that remnant to God's grace. You can read about it in Malachi chapter three, where out of all the people that were still being disobedient, a few had reverence for the Lord. And uh, we too can be nationalist, conservative, and churchgoers like they were, and not obedient from the heart. The sober reality of the church is that too many seek to fit Jesus into their lifestyle rather than conform our lives to the kingdom rule of God. And the call of God is the heart cry for his grace to mold our lives around his kingdom. Would you join me today and this week In praying, Jeremiah 24, 7, Lord, give us a heart. Fulfill your promise. Give us a heart to know you. Now, you know, some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I know God. Yeah, I know. What that means is that you know God a little. But but don't be content to get your toe in the kingdom. Right? Get to know God. I'll give them a heart to know me. Grace to care and that's how God forms his remnant people in every generation so that no matter what comes against us, we stand in his grace, by his grace. And remember the second half or the last part of the verse, and, and I'll be their God for they will return to me with all their heart. When, when you experience the grace of God softening your heart like, Lord, that is what I want. <laughs> I, with all of my heart, that is what I want. And I want you to be my God and, and we'll be your people. And we'll do that together. That is the, the privilege of the people of God. So the third way God responds to sin is by restoring a remnant. So are you personally, maybe, facing persistent sin? God is patient. As we said, daily humble confession. Plant seeds of holy desire. Envision your transformation in faith and repent and stay in an accountable community. But the biggest thing for all of us is I'm asking us, Would we as a body, as a church, and those that may be visitors online, would you cry out with us for the grace to care? Small group leaders, would you lead your community in really crying out to God for the grace to care? Let's pray. Lord, we do pray now in Jesus' name that you would open our hearts and minds and spirits. Lord, The things happening around us are big, but in a way they're not because there's one thing needed to hear you, to walk with you, to know you. COVID's just highlighting what is always the case, that there's really one thing crucial in life. That's knowing you. And so, Father, I pray that you would fill our souls with a grace to desire you more and more, to find our joy in you more and more, to find our peace and forgiveness and transformation in fellowship with you. We ask that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.